Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. You might say, well, what is dangerous about prayer? Well, you know, there's nothing dangerous about prayer, but what I mean by dangerous prayers, a dangerous prayer is a prayer that seeks God to change the one who's praying. And that's what makes it dangerous because when you say a dangerous prayer to God, you're not going to stay the same. And last week we talked about search me. When you pray to God, Lord, search me, you're inviting him to come into your life, look around, and point out something that he wants to change in your life. And that leads to the next prayer today, which is change me. That is a dangerous prayer. When you go to God... And I, I, one of my favorite quotes I heard years ago was, Lord, change the world, start with me. That's the spirit of this prayer. We could look at everything around us and go, boy, that needs to change, and this needs to change, and that needs to change. But this is one of those prayers where you look in the mirror and you say, God, change me. Change me. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I always like some good quotes. I uh, found one by... Um, a motivational guy, uh, he says, you will never change your life until you change something you do daily. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. That ought to make you get out of bed and go, okay, what am I going to do different today, right? Uh, But, you know, even if you uh, wake up one day and you're really motivated, you say, hey, I'm going to do something different today. Uh, that's great, but what happens when you wake up one day and you don't feel like doing anything at all? And I think that's where some of us struggle. It's great when you feel like doing something different, but what happens when you don't want to do anything different? Uh, Albert Einstein comes to mind. Uh, This is a well-known quote from Einstein. He says, The problems we face today cannot be solved on the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. That is so profound. I'll read it again, but I'm not going to explain it. The problems we face today cannot be solved on the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. A lot of truth to that statement. Very profound. Uh, You you have to have a new attitude sometimes to deal with an old problem because if you use the same old thinking, you're going to get the same old result. I guess you could say that's the explanation of it. Um, Here's a poem that I found. Uh, This is one of those who am I poems, so I'll read it, and I want you to think about who it is it's talking about. I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper or heaviest burden. I will push you onward or drag you down to failure. I am completely at your command. Half of the things you do, you just might as well turn over to me and I will be able to do them quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must merely be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done and after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of all great men and of all failures as well. Those who are great, I have made great. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I'm not a machine, though I work with all the precision of a machine, plus the intelligence of a man. You may run me for profit or run me for ruin. It makes no difference to me. 
Take me, train me, be firm with me, and I will place the world at your feet. Be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am habit. Habit. If you think about it, look at our life, and you can boil it down to a few habits. And we all have them. Good habits, bad habits. We all have habits. And after a while, we just do things without even thinking, don't we? Because they're a habit. And sometimes when it comes to change in our life, it's so hard. Why? Because of bad habits. You know what they say, bad habits are hard to break. And that has everything to do with what it comes to change in our life. How can we pray, God, change me, and then see Him change us when maybe we've got things in our life like bad habits that are really, really hard to break? Well, look, if you will, in Psalm 51. And this is a psalm that King David wrote. Like Danny had said earlier, David made a series of bad decisions in his life, one after the other. They led him away from God until that defining moment when God used Nathan to say, hey, David, you're the man. And then David writes this psalm, and it reflects the attitude of his heart when he had the aha moment, and he was able to pray, God, change me. In Psalm 51, I want us to look at verse 10 through 13. He says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Now look at what David prayed for a minute. The, the, the verbs jump out at me. Create. Create a clean heart, O oh God. You know, when you begin to realize that there's sin in your life and you're dirty before a holy God, what do you do? Well, i got to get cleaned up. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, you can hide things. You can pretend things are okay when they're not. You can do all these things. But when you come before God and, like Danny said, you say, I'm sorry, and you confess and you're willing to deal with the problem, then you can say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Create in me. Last time I, I, I noticed, God's in the creation business. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When God said, let there be light, boom, there was light. Our God is a creative God. All he's got to do is speak it, say it, and it's done. Think about that. And all of the creativity that we have today comes from the creative God that you and I know, love, and serve. And so when it comes to create, I can't create. I mean, sure, you know, we can all, you know, do crafty things and stuff. But when it comes to my life and changing my life, I can't create a clean heart. But God can. And that's what David asked for. Then he said, renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, how many times do you see people in life that are broken? They, they've hit a wall. Uh, something has come up between them and God. And now they're broken and they're stuck. And that was David until he prayed, God, change me. Lord, create a new heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit uh, within me. Uh, renewal. 
you know, you don't hear that word revival much anymore, but one of the words you hear instead is renewal and uh, revitalization and, and the same idea. Uh, how many of you like to watch those home improvement shows uh, where they go in and they, they, they get a very undesirable place, it needs a whole lot of work, and then all of a sudden it takes a, somebody that's got the skill and has fresh eyes, they walk in and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tear that out, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and all of a sudden they just breathe new life into an old space. And it's always fun to watch what? The last five minutes of each show, if, even if you don't get the whole show, you watch those last five minutes and you see the before picture, right? And then you see everything that they do and you go, wow. Well, David said, God, I need that kind of renovation in my life. I, I, I'm broken and I, I feel stuck and I need you to renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so God is not only in the creation business, He's in the renewal business. And then, of course, He says in verse 12, Restore the joy of your salvation to me. I love that. had a neighbor years ago that bought an old, uh, I guess it was a 1965 Ford Mustang. And it had been sitting out in somebody's backyard, Brother Don, for a very long time. And he bought that thing, and it didn't look too good. I mean, you looked at it and go, oh. I mean, I didn't see the excitement. You know, I mean, he, he was excited about it. Oh, look at this. Isn't it pretty, Corey? Oh, you just wait till I get done with it. And I, I didn't see what he saw. I saw this old car that, you know, had seen much better days. And the next thing you know, he starts working on it. He had some friends to help him. And, you know, a few weeks turned into a few months, and I think it took about a year, year and a half for him to do it because it was a side thing, you know. He built log homes for a living, and this was just something he did on the side. But he kept at it, he kept at it, and then one day he said, Hey, Corey, come here and look at it now. Candy apple red, and when he cranked it, you know, to, when he cranked that thing, he would take it for a spin every Saturday morning. And when he did, you can ask my wife, everything glass in the house just rattled like this. I mean, he restored that thing. He made it purr. Did you know that God's in the restoration business? Not only can he create a pure and clean heart in you, and not only can he renew a steadfast spirit in you, but if you've lost your joy, if you can remember when, you know, you... you you walked with God and you enjoyed it and you had that joy and that peace and now it just, it's not there. What happened to it? What do I do about it? He says God can restore the joy of your salvation. And then, of course, the last thing, and this one means just as much as the others, in verse 12, and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You remember what I said about bad habits? You know, you... You, you try to tackle a bad habit for a while, and you're like, okay, I'm making progress. All right, I'm doing better. And then you slip, then you stumble, then you fall, and you go right back to the same old thing. Sometimes we need that staying power. We need that staying power that says, even if I fall down, I'm going to get back up. Even if I trip and stumble, I'm going to keep trying. I'm not going to quit. Where does that come from? Where does that willpower come from? I'm reminded of what Paul uh, in the letter to the Philippian church said. You know, God is willing and working in you. Uh, God's willing and working in me and in you as believers in Jesus. And we've got to yield our will to His will. And when we do that, part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit 
is self-control. But the only way I'm going to experience self-control in my life is when what? He's in control. And when I allow him to have control, then he can sustain me by, by giving me a willing spirit. I just have to be willing to be led by God moment by moment, day by day, and depend on him for everything I need, the strength I need, the wisdom I need, everything. And so not only is God in the creating business and the renewal business and the restoring business, but he sustains us. He's the one that gives us strength. That's why Paul could tell the Philippian church, I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. He's the one that gives me the strength to do what I do. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that I skipped a verse, verse 11. And if you caught that, I'm glad you were paying attention. Now, why did I skip that? Because there's something that's always struck me about this prayer and the one who prayed it. King David, the man after God's own heart, he has a very bad moment in his life when his sin is found out and he's committed adultery. He tried to cover it up with murder and one bad decision left, led to another bad decision, and it just kept going downhill for David. It just went from bad to worse. And now everybody knows. Now everybody knows what David's done. It comes to light, and he realizes he's sinned against God. He's failed the people he's led, and now what's he going to do? Well, he prays, God, I want to get right. Lord, I, I pray you'll create in me this you know, pure and clean heart. I pray that you will renew a steadfast spirit. I pray that you'll restore to me the joy of my salvation that I lost. I, I'm praying that you'll sustain me and, and lead me. But then in the midst of that prayer, here's what he says in verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, why would he say that? I can tell you why he would say that. There was another guy that was king before David, and his name was Saul. He was the first king of Israel. They had never had a king before. And the people said, we want a king. And so God shows Saul and says, here's your king. And he was very reluctant, but he stood out in the crowd. He was head and shoulders literally taller than everyone else. And when Saul sinned against God, he failed God and he failed the people. You know what God did to him? God withdrew his spirit from Saul. And David saw that because evil spirits would torment Saul and the people in the palace were looking for anybody, anybody that could soothe Saul because if the king's happy, we're all a little bit happier, if you know what I mean. And so they found David who could play a harp the same David who became the next king. And David would play that harp and it would soothe Saul. It would calm his nerves. But in that experience, David learned something. He saw what happened when a leader falls and fails and sins against God. He saw what happened to him. And now David is that guy. And he says, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me that's where it came from now you and i can rest assured we're in the new testament that jesus said it and he meant it 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you don't have to worry about that. But when you do sin as a Christian, it affects your relationship with God just like having an argument, gentlemen, with your wife affects the way relations are around the house. And so you have to deal with the issue so that you can enjoy the relationship and the fellowship. And David is dealing with the issue. God created me, renew me, restore me, sustain me. And David's fear was he didn't want to end up like Saul. He didn't want to be in a place where God just pushed him aside, put him on a shelf, and withdrew his hand of blessing on his life. David said, I don't want that. And so David came to God, he sought God, and he asked God to change him. Now, with all this said, it reminds me of my neighbor again. The same neighbor that restored the 1965 Mustang. <laughs> Loved him to death. Wonderful guy. Uh, he was one of my neighbors in Tennessee. His name was Larry. Now, here's Larry's story. Larry came to Christ at about the age of 50. He had been an alcoholic. He had been married a couple of times. And he, he got to a place to where he was sort of broken. But his kids got in church. He started coming to church. One thing led to another. And he gets saved going down the road in his pickup truck talking to Jesus. And he got saved. He got changed. And he says, Corey... After a couple years, he says, I'm really struggling. I said, what's wrong, brother? And he says, I don't understand something. He says, when I got saved, he said, I had drunk, drunk, drunk. And when I got saved, God took that away from me. I didn't have a desire to drink ever again. Just didn't happen. It wasn't there. God changed me. But then, whenever he saw me coming, whenever I pulled in the driveway and coming, I would see him flick something real fast. And I... I didn't ask no questions, Brother Don. I just let him come to me. And the next thing you know, he goes, you know, I really struggle with smoking. And he, he, here's a man with tears in his eyes who says to me, how come God took the bottle away, but he won't take this away? Now, you fill in the blanks. I'm not trying to harp on a sin here, but what I'm trying to do is illustrate something. Do you ever have that problem? Maybe there's one issue in your life. You came to God and He took it away and it's not an issue anymore. But this thing right here, whatever it is, is. And you, you wrestle with that. You're like, how come God did that? Why don't He do this? And we get stuck because we're like, okay, I think God can do anything in my life and He took this away, but why doesn't He take that away? A grown man with tears in his eyes wanting to know. And you know what? I didn't have an answer that particular day. But after I prayed about it and thought about it, we had another conversation. And I'll tell you what I told him. It uh, goes to another verse. The verse is in Judges 2. And I want you to look at it because it deals with the unsaid story behind all of this. What do you do when you don't struggle with some things, but you do other things and you wonder, God, why don't you just take it all and deal with it and... I'll be happy, you'll be happy, and it's all good. And for some reason, it doesn't work that way. Why? When Judges chapter 2, we have this little bitty commentary on a huge story in the Bible that most people are familiar with, and it gives us a huge insight that I don't want you to miss. You know the story about when God led Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, and then 
Joshua became the next leader after Moses died, and Joshua led Israel into the promised land. Remember that story? It's a huge story. And we reread that story. We've heard that story. If you've watched Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments, then you've seen the story. And all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I remember that. Yeah, God, God, God split that Red Sea and they crossed over. And, and yeah, there was 40 years of wandering because of disobedience. But eventually God raised up a new generation and a new leader. And they went into the promised land. End of story. The end. They lived happily ever after, right? Not exactly. That's not exactly how it happened. In Judges chapter 2, verse 20 it says the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he declared because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their fathers and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their fathers had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. If you read the book of Joshua, you will learn that even though God raised Joshua up and he led them into the promised land, they did not conquer the entire land 100%. There were areas and pockets all over the place where the enemy was still there. And the enemy was still there when Joshua died. We don't like that part of the story. It sort of skews the big happy ending. We don't focus on it. We don't dwell on it. But the rest of it says this in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. These are the nations the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not before. Now, I want you to say these two words, test and teach. Ready? Test and teach. That was the purpose why they didn't occupy all of the promised land in the blink of an eye. Now, what does that have to do with my neighbor, Larry? It has this. God comes into your life, and he changes your life, and he takes some things away, and you don't ever have to worry about that again. And then for whatever reason... He leaves some stuff in your life that you still struggle with. You struggle with them, you know, last year. You struggle with them today. And you might even struggle with them tomorrow and the next. How do you deal with that? Well, the purpose is to test and to teach. He wanted to test their hearts to see if no matter what's going on around them, they'll say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. You know, we don't ever get past that. I don't care how long you've known the Lord. I don't care what you've been through. We never get past that heart cry that says, God, I need you. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I need you next week. Lord, I need you. And you know what? He wants to know that's in you. And so he allows things to happen in your life to test you, to see what's in your heart. Now listen to me. He already knows what's in your heart. But many times we don't know what's in our heart until we find ourselves in a situation. You know what I'm talking about. It's easy to look at somebody else's life and say, I don't know why they're doing that. If I was them, I would do it this way. You don't exactly know that until you're in their shoes. 
dealing with their reality that's now become your reality. And then you go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. Well, I wasn't feeling this at the time. And so we have to let God test us, but we also have to let God teach us. Infinite wisdom there in those verses in Judges. God knew that there was a generation that was raising up. And if they'd won all the battles, the next generation wouldn't have any. Let me say that again. God said, look, I'm not going to let you win all the battles or the next generation won't have any. Hello? Did you see that fast pitch? See, today there's a battle going on in our country. And I'm not talking about politics, and I'm not even talking about military. There is a battle going on in our country. Other generations have done their part, and the new generation's coming up, and we've got to recognize we're in a battle, man. We are. And we've got to live this life with our focus on God, and we've got to depend on God every minute of every day and trust Him and depend on Him for strength And not only is God going to test what's in our heart, but He wants to teach us how to battle too. That's what it said there in Judges. The Lord left these nations. He did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. This was to teach the future generations how to fight and battle, especially those who had not fought before. Now I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. You, if you want to be a man of God, you, if you want to be a woman of God, you've got to learn how to dress yourself in the armor of God and go through each day ready for the battle with the knowledge that you've already won because Christ says, I've done it all. I've paid it all. I've done it all. There's victory through Jesus Christ alone. And you've got to let Him test what's in your heart. You've got to let Him teach you how to fight the battle And think about it. Just think about it like this. This is something we don't think about or talk about. But if you got saved and the Lord took everything away and you never had a problem anymore, you know how tempting that would be to go, I got this. We're good. God and I are good. Everything's fine. Look at me. I can handle this. No, you can't. Here they were in the promised land, even under a new leader like Joshua and God says to them, look, he says there in Judges 2, my anger is burning against you because you violated my covenant. You've disobeyed me. They had that moment where, hey, I got this. I can handle this. It's okay, God. You just stand over there in the corner. We can take care of this. Now, that wasn't said out loud, but in the heart it happens. And you and I have got to watch that. That's why we've got to let God test us in order to teach us. You see, maybe we've got it backwards. In our education system today, we teach people in order to test them. You know what God does? He tests you, and then He teaches you. You think about that. And so we've got to learn to depend on God and let Him lead us and guide us. Well, with all that said, I'm fixing to wind this up real fast, so listen quick, listen close. Here's the question I want to ask, and I'm going to give you three things to think about. How do we experience, Lord, change me? How do we experience God's power to change us? Because I've already established the fact I can't do this on my own. I can't change. You can't change. I mean, we can try, but the problem is we're trying to do it. 
Maybe we'll have a good day. Maybe we'll have a not so good day. But we just keep hitting that brick wall and we have bloody heads and we go, man, why is this so hard? Well, how do we experience God's power to change us? Number one, realize you need to change. I know that's simple. I know that's basic. But that's so true. Some people just don't realize they need to change. They're used to excuses. Oh, you know, I'm sorry this happened or that happened. It'll be different next time. It's like Danny was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's always an I'm sorry, but, and here comes the excuse. Listen, when it comes to change in your life, you have to realize you need to change. Some people have to feel the heat. Others have to see the light. Whatever it is that God uses to get your attention, you need to come to the place to where you realize you need to change. Number two, realize that only God can change you. Only God can change you. If you're really going to pray, God, change me, and He's going to do something in your life that's going to make you a better person that, that knows the Lord Jesus and that reflects the presence of Jesus to everyone around them, then realize, God, I can't do this. I need you, I need you, I need you. And realize that only God can change you. Look again at David's request in Psalm 51, 10 through 13. And again, notice the verbs. David is talking to God. He says, create, renew, restore, sustain. Those are all things that we need. And only God can do it. Only God can do it. Only He can create the pure and clean heart. Only He can renew our steadfast spirit. Only He can restore the joy of our salvation. Only He can sustain that willing spirit that says, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, lead me. And then number three, realize that God will change you if you surrender all to Him. That's the rub right there. If you pray, God, change me, you've got to be willing to let him have complete control. You've got to surrender everything. You can't, you can't put terms on what you're going to let God do and not do. You're either going to let him move and work in your life or you're not. You have to be willing to say, Lord, I surrender all. Look at the... We just looked at the verbs in David's prayer, create, renew, restore, sustain. Those are things that only God can do. Look at the outcomes of those verbs. A clean heart, a steadfast spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the joy of salvation, and a willing spirit that's led by God. Those are the outcomes of David's prayer. When you surrender all to Jesus, He can do that in your life. I know, you know, in this day and age, everybody wants the scientific explanation. Hey, just give me two or three tips or tricks or hacks uh, so that I can immediately do these things and I can immediately see some results. We're talking about your relationship with God here. And I don't want to reduce God to a gimmick. I want you to realize that your relationship with God can be so much more if you're willing to let him have complete control and surrender all. There's so much he's able to do. There's so much that he wants to do. But you've got to give him the keys. 
You've got to let Him have access to every area of your life so He can move, so He can work, so that He can do this great thing in your life. And not only will you see the difference, but everyone around you will see the difference. You see, that's really what being a Christian is all about. It's not me and you trying to earn our way to heaven. It's not us trying to do enough things to impress God. It's us realizing God has spoken. He's spoken through His Son. And God has done something that we can't do for ourselves. For God so loved the world that what? He gave His one and only Son, who died on the cross for the sins of the world, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God has spoken through His Son. God has done something on your behalf. And now He's offering this new life in Christ to anyone who will turn from their sin and put their trust and follow Jesus Christ. He'll do this good work in you. Are you willing to let Him try? He can do it. But you've got to be willing to open the door and let Him in. And Lord, have your way in me. Maybe you need to pray David's prayer today. Lord, change me. If it's the first time you've ever prayed it, then you need to say, Lord, save me, because He can and He will. If you've already been saved, but your relationship with God is not what it could be or should be, then maybe you just need to say, God, change me. I've got this area in my life that I'm still struggling with, and I don't like that I'm still struggling with it, but I realize you're using it to test me, and you're using it to teach me. And all I know, Lord, is I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but I need you. And Lord, I want to wake up every minute of every day and say, Lord, I need you. Take this, take this, and depend on his strength. Depend on his power and trust and follow him moment by moment, one day at a time. And watch God work in your life. And let Him do what only He can do. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.